0: is packed, full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Ben Phillips, co-founder and CTO of Thread. Ben and I approach a wide range of topics, from stoic philosophy to mental health, relationships, sleep, burnout, learning, decision-making, and others, which makes our conversation distinctly in-depth and at times deeply introspective. In detail, we discuss the role of death and how we can use it to cultivate resilience in ourselves. How to use mental frameworks to find the benefit of hindsight in advance. And how Ben has developed outstanding professional relationships, like the one with his co-founder, now onto their second company and their 16th year. Ben openly shares his experience of burnout. How a combination of obsessive learning and lack of sleep meant that after an all hands meeting late one Friday, Ben sought and found support from the people and services around him. The conversation is so wide ranging and so natural, in part because we've been through similar experiences. The lessons Ben has learned have been hard at times. Yet hearing from Ben, you get the sense that he's opened his heart to the toughest moments, to soak in every part of this experience. The full tapestry of life as a founder is complex and as a result, difficult, illuminating and unique. Ben's story so far reveals truths we can all relate to and learn from.
1: Why is it easier to complain about our work rather than do something about it?
2: Complaining is easy. Doing something significant to change your situation is often hard. Um, and the reason I think that people don't make a significant change is because there's pain during that change. So, for example, um, you're not happy in your job. You you go to work, you get home from work, you complain to your housemate, your partner. Um, get off your chest, rant, feels good. Have dinner, go to bed, get up the next day. You are on this conveyor belt, you keep doing it. To Stop doing that to do something different for a start, if you want to do something in the same field, you would have to start job hunting. And we all know how like, you know, typically sold a join that can be. Um, we, if we want to do something in a different field, if we're not finding our, you know, vocation that, you know, is, is, is really satisfying us, you have to start from scratch. You have to learn something new. You have to put yourself out there. There's like imposter syndrome, people who have been doing it for years better than you, you're going to get paid, take a pay cut, all these things that are really, really difficult to get you to the point you want to be. Um, And so it's those things I think why a lot of people, and like fair, you know, it makes sense. It's like doing those things is really hard. So um, like the framework that I choose to like make big decisions like that is um, forget like any short-term pain, like lean into it almost. You kind of have to put yourself through a difficult situation to get to a better place uh, and not think about like, this is going to be really awkward for a few months, you know? Um, Yeah. So it's like the
1: hardest decision is probably the right one.
2: Um, Yes. And it almost doesn't matter if it's right or not, because you can make another one later, you can go back, you can change course, right? Um, It's the inner, it's like the, not making the decision is often the wrong one, because then you are just never, especially if you're complaining about where you are, then you're never changing. You're never growing. You're never um, improving yourself.
1: Is switching jobs a reversible decision? Um,
2: it depends how you leave, um, but there's like reversible in that um, you can leave if you go to a new job and it's not working out, or you try something new and it's not working out. You know, um, obviously, some people are more privileged and able to like um, deal with financial, um, you know, um, financial shortcomings in in the, in the short term, where other people kind of don't have that luxury of switching. But in general, if you switch a job and you don't like it, you can, you know, look for another one or try something new. Uh, again, I'm not saying this is easy, it's it's painful, but the goal, like the long-term goal, is what you should be looking at.
1: When you lean into, you lean into that pain, it can be a challenge to know, like, what pain is good and what pain is bad. Because you want to go, you want to lean into pain that gives you long-term reward, but you don't want to kind of just focus on sorting out your weaknesses and you want to really focus and double down on your strengths it's almost like this conflicting advice on the one hand you should do things that you really enjoy that you feel are like play to you but on the other hand we should also make really difficult decisions that are sometimes hard it's like how do you distinguish between the two
2: so i think if if the goal is the important thing and i think like yes we want to you want to enjoy your like the the kind of default case should be enjoying your day-to-day, right? You should be, you know, doing the things you enjoy. Um, And I know everyone's different for me. I really get a thrill from like working, like going deep on something and being able to um, sort of build something and have and take pride in the result of what I've I've done. I think that's a fairly common thing that people have. Um, But to get there, like the initial, so say I'm I'm going to write a bit of code, I'm going to build a program. The initial thing I do, I may have to like think about the architecture or research some tool or some programming language. Some of that's really painful, right? You have to like sit down, you don't understand it. It's like, oh, this is awkward. It's easier to quit and start doing something easy to load up video game, whatever, right? Um, and so that pain, recognizing that 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 short-term pain will make you, will take you to a better place is the key thing. And then you start you start recognizing patterns where um, you're you're telling yourself not to do something, and you're like, I don't want to I don't want to have this hard conversation with a coworker or my housemate or my partner, and you put it off, and then you realize that you because the the thing that's driving you to have that conversation, like the 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 negative aspect of that relationship or the thing you want to improve, is still there. The fact that you're then continuing to put it off, that's when you're like you're, you're telling yourself that there's a hard thing to happen that has to happen a painful thing that has to happen. Um, so I think, yeah, if you, if you keep seeing the same thing, you know, the same like negative aspect of your current situation coming up again and again, that's when it's time to do something difficult.
1: It's hard to see those patterns as well, isn't it? It's like, how do you notice it in real time? It's easier of hindsight.
2: Yeah, it is. And it's, you you get it wrong a lot, right? Um, I think reflection is important. Um, like you say, hindsight is, is great for this kind of stuff. Um, You know, I've made a mistake with relationships, right, with partners where I've stayed in them too long. And, uh, you know, I've had people in my team who um, weren't the right fit for the company and we kept them on for too long. And I was like, I was telling myself that at the time, giving them every chance to succeed, you know, I'm talking about the the people in the company, not my partners. Um, but so, you know, give these, give these, uh, my colleagues, like, you know, my employees every chance to succeed. You, you, know, you give them as much coaching and so on. But I knew deep down, like a month or two before we let let them go, that I should have made that decision earlier. And so reflecting on it, I realized that I was telling myself one thing while feeling the other, and I, was, I knew that I should, the time was right to, to say, like, this isn't working. But I was, like, almost, like, kidding myself that I was doing it for another reason. Um, and so, yeah, just reflecting on that, I realized that your mind is very good uh, in in the short term playing tricks on yourself. It's why I think why people like, you know, do addictive things like smoking, because short term, you know, hey, you get a, a small hit from it. It's great. Long term is going to kill you. But that seems to override the long term thing for that short term pleasure. So your mind is very good at playing those tricks where the short term uh, always nearly always trumps the long term. So you have to be rational about it. And yeah and spot it
1: what part of your body is making that call though it's tricky isn't it like you've got your mind your gut your head your heart all these different parts that fall into this like cauldron of decision making and timing i mean i guess if you flip it the other way around it's just as difficult for someone who's deciding to move from one job to another it's the it's the same question it's this there's no immediate event that's pushing something to happen instead you have to make this proactive call and a lot of the time it comes from this kind of concoction of different places in your body do you do you notice it coming from different places or does it does your focus go to one place in particular or a mix
2: well yeah it's like the brain is like lots of different systems right we have Different needs, we have different pulls in different directions. You know, there's human beings do stupid things all the time that damage ourselves, like constantly. Um, and yet, yeah, if you sit there rationally and you think, why did I do that? Often, you know, humans always say to themselves, why did I do that? Why did last night? What, what was I doing? You know, we do things that if you sit down and you're purely logical about it, are absurd. So, um, yeah, we have lots of competing, like, you know, pulls. Um, I think recognizing like the reasons for them. So when, again, going back to the painful short term stuff, the reasons what the reason why, like I had one part of my brain trying to kid 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 myself that this was the right decision to not do anything was because I was avoiding the hard thing. And I knew that, like, so you're like, um, my my brain is trying to protect myself from this short term pain by. By kidding itself, you like yeah, and then you start having this conversation with yourself about these different competing, you know, um, pulls, and it's it's tricky, you know. I think I think some people, a lot of people, make the mistake of like say, thinking that we are like one mind where you know it's very we're very logical and rational, and we can like uh, control ourselves, right? Um, where I think the reality is actually a lot different to that.
1: Is there a part of like one of those multiple bits of yourself that you could? attribute your success to is there like an imbalance in some ways towards one part of your decision making mind that's meant that it's guided you in ways that you reflect on and think I'm grateful for that
2: I think like the logical part uh like the rational part uh, everyone has it obviously but um w- so I'm a big fan of stoicism and one of the things that um has helped me a lot is the ability to control only what you can control. So don't worry about um, things that are outside of your control. And a lot of the time you're buffeted by all these like thoughts and feelings and stuff. And so what I often do is I'm like, right, what can I actually do now to make a difference? And just think of it as um, almost like you're coaching or talking to a friend. So you kind of almost speak to yourself. You're like, what is it that you uh, should be doing now? Tell me your story. What is it you, you, you know, what are you going through? What's your pain? And you're like, "All right, so if I were you, I'd do this because I am me, right? so I can do it." But um, that almost pulls you out of all the um, the buffeting feelings and the short term, you know, emotions, and allows you to think a bit more rationally and objectively about it. Um, so it's not like you, you don't ignore them. You, you know, you have feelings, right? You have we humans. That's what we have. We have emotions and feelings, and the only thing we can control is how we react to them. And I think that stepping back um, and acknowledging, say, hey, I'm feeling pain in my current job. I'm not enjoying myself at the moment. Every night I come home and complain, OK, if my friend was doing this, what would I tell them to do? What would be my advice? Um, and that just like kind of puts the feelings to one side and then you can be as rational as possible.
1: How do you manage your ego through that? In what way? Like... It's so linked. It's all like, you've got to, on the one hand, take yourself out of the context. As you said it, I was thinking, surely your ego doesn't want to do that and wants to stay. And is going to, is going to kind of, it's going to say, no, like, you're not, you're not, you're, you're better than uh, being objective. You make the call. Yeah. I
2: mean, like you have, you have to, you have to almost put yourself to the side and look at yourself from the outside so in a way you're like yeah you're trying to withdraw from that um I think if you there are times when it's really hard I, I think back on where I'm unable to do it and I'm and I'm just like whatever is happening to me you know my emotions are so overwhelming and, and I'm thinking just about myself a bit too much and I you know I'm unable to be that be rational um so it does take a certain type, like frame of mind or certain you know um a certain amount of energy needed but yeah it's it isn't like always easy um because you are in the way of of you
1: yeah what else have the stoics taught you that you found valuable in your own professional journey
2: um so preparing for loss um so one of, the, one of the exercises of Stoicism uh, is you imagine a world where you've lost the things that you hold dear or that you um, feel that make you, you. So one of the exercises that they, they did at Roman times was like the emperors would imagine that like if all this was taken away and I was cast into exile, and I lost all my people, all my money and all my riches and I had to sleep on the floor, What would I, um, would I still be me and what would I feel? And if you prepare for that, when loss does then eventually happen you're A, you're ready for it, so you're emotionally better for it, but also you start to appreciate um, that the trappings of life don't make you, you you make you, um, and you have ultimate control over your decisions. Um, And I've done that in personal life and in professional life, I do it a lot. Um, When I first started out um, as an entrepreneur, the, the hardest, and it still is the hardest thing, but when really good people in your company leave, um, you know, they've. I remember vividly the first person at Fred who left to start his own company, and I was really pleased for him because he's going to start a company. But I was so gutted that a you know he was a great person doing great work, but then I also had to start hiring again and like go through that process. Um, so it was a forced difficult thing which I had to go through. But and then it happened a few times. Luckily, our turnover is quite low. So it doesn't happen that often. But when it does, it's, it, it's painful. But I've now got to the point where um, I guess I'm practiced at it. But emotionally, I'm ready for it happening. Um, and I've done it in my personal life with things like, um, you know, family members, you know, it, it's that you can be that like brutal to yourself about it, because it's going to happen, you know, you will lose people that you care about. And so being I guess, prepared to some extent, you know, you're never going to be fully ready for that, um, just helps you deal with those hard times more and then also makes you realise that you are all right on your own. You can survive on your own. You can, again, you are you and you, you will be here until you're not, uh, regardless of what happens around you.
1: What do you do to prepare? Is it a thought? Is it yeah. getting more used to it in your mind?
2: Yeah, there's two things. There's the the, the kind of just mental process of imagining world without the thing that you're uh you're thinking about um and what the actual the the stoics original stoics used to do um i don't remember which one this was but they would actually like sleep on the floor you know they were they were an emperor they had like everything they needed but they would sleep on the floor every so often because um to practice what it would be like if they didn't have a bed so you can sort of um take away some of the things in your life for a period of time it's why people fast it's why people you know force themselves to do hard things in that way and it it builds up your resilience as well
0: as
1: surprising as you say that that we don't do it more often in other parts of our life deliberate hardship to try and kind of self-manage our own expectations
2: yeah it's really good practice for um yeah going back to making hard decisions like if, you're, if you embrace hard things um, and you, you build that muscle, then it makes the harder things easier as well um, because you always come out the other side and you'll always get up off the floor and you'll have your bed or hopefully, you know. So, um, yeah, it, it enables you to be more active and less passive in your life. I think part of the thing
1: with, with deaf too is that it's sheltered from our modern life we we don't really experience death really i mean the closest thing we probably have to loss is uh is naturally that moment when, when someone passes away but kind of at a younger age it's like you said is someone leaves a company or you have a relationship breakup or this is actually those moments we're we're pretty sheltered from when naturally in the past we may have I was looking at um, at Gorbachev's open coffin and Putin going and standing next to it. Oh my goodness, that that is such a cultural tell that that would not happen here and that must have such an effect on our psyche.
2: Yeah, death's really taboo. Like, um, I actually was um, friends with someone who's a lung surgeon and she um, worked or did volunteering for a company called the Death Cafe where... They, people just went and talked about death, um, which sounds quite weird. Um, but it was for this reason in that um, she spent a lot of her life speaking to people with like, lung cancer who had like, you know, terminal conditions. And so um, she found that when she had those conversations with these people, that they uh, weren't ready at all. Like, had, no, had never thought about their own you know, mortality. Their partners weren't ready for them to not be there. And it was just all of a sudden, bam, you know you've got three months left to live. this is like awful, and so I think a lot of that is because we're sheltered and it's just not discussed and or um, well not discussed in a kind of positive way because you know it's everyone's going to face it um, and the only thing that we can do we can't control it we can't stop it from happening. The only thing we can do is be as prepared for it as possible.
1: It's interesting that a lot of the most successful people in our market economy i think use death as a way to make decisions but they don't call it death like jeff Bezos uses the regret minimization and it's like well what's he is effectively saying at the end of my life what will i regret and it, it it's almost like we use every other word than death and and but actually perhaps that visualization is the best way of figuring out what we should be doing in that moment, maybe in some ways, because it gets us out of ourselves in that moment and we can look at it objectively somehow.
2: Yeah. And the thing you mentioned around like hindsight is really valuable. The regret minimization framework basically puts you at the end of everything. And therefore the only thing you have is like hindsight. So you think like, now I can truly reflect on my entire life. What should I have done differently? But you've got a chance to make that change now. So, um,
1: is there a relationship between what we're talking about and longer term views because one of the one of the fascinating parts about your story is the length of time that you've the, the professional relationships that you've kept for such a long period of time and you're clearly looking at things with a longer term lens that's bringing about some kind of compound interest later on is is there some relation there and how much of your success would you determine to that longer term view and where where it come from
2: i think the longer term relations, relationships i i'm i have i'm just lucky with in that uh for example kieran my co-founder we we met he was his he was interning at a company I was working for. He was 18 and he was selling his first company um, to Larry Page's brother, um, the founder of Google's brother. So he was going through an interesting phase in his life. And I was, I'd just moved to London. And, Funny time to meet him. As yeah. Well. And he, he didn't let me know because he was on the phone all the time and everyone's like, why is he always on the phone? Apparently he was closing this deal. So, um, And I was leading uh, stats and reporting for a uh, an ad tech firm. Um, so I built the um, sort of data recording system and the um, report serving system and he was on the client management team so he would come to me and ask me for things and so we got chatting and then he called me a couple months later and said hey I'm dropping out of uni I want to start this company You up for it and at the time I was like I'd moved to London just to get into the tech scene and I really wanted to start a company again I was kind of thinking about what to do and the opportunity was just perfect but my company was bought by um, DoubleClick who were then bought by Google. So I was like offered a role inside Google. Um, so it was a very interesting like fork in my, in my career. And I was actually in, in the Google machine for a short period of time. Um, but I had this like, you know, chance to start a company with someone who I respected and obviously had a track record. So I thought, why not? I can always apply for Google again if I want to, if this doesn't work out. Right? So regret minimization framework, what would I have regret more not doing? And it, wouldn't have, it would not have been like this, op- this one opportunity to start a company with Kieran at that time, he would have found another co-founder if I hadn't said yes. And I couldn't have gone back on that. So I was like, let's do it. Um, and it just works really well because we have compatible skill sets. He's the CEO, I'm the CTO. We don't step on each other's toes. We have very clearly defined and it's just, we've never had like a, a raising voice argument, um, so in the 16 years we've known each other. So we're really lucky with that. Um. At the time when I start, when we started like Playfire, our first company, I wasn't thinking about the long term, um, my, and I, I don't actually think that much about the long, long term because I guess like I've realized that lots of things happen that affect the path of your life and you can control it to some extent, but things change, right? And so getting too caught up in like, I want to do this in 20 years time or whatever, I think um, can set you up for disappointment. And also it doesn't give you that short term fulfillment that you need. And so I'm very much actually, I'm actually quite short termist in my like, you know, um, I guess some of my goals and how I think about things. Um, not short term, maybe midterm is the right, <laughs> is the right phrase
1: funny that there's this contradiction between living in the moment and seeing long-term and such a challenge to develop a relationship in the way that you have for 16 years but also live in the moment at the same time and see the benefit of it being over a longer stretch of time but still invest in the here and now.
2: We didn't start out like you and I we didn't start out thinking you know we're going to have two companies together and we're going to be working together in 16 years time. It's like the here and now at that time for me was like, I want to do something that, you know, I have this pull to be a founder of a company. I really want to do that. I have this opportunity. It was a very short term. like, uh, and it's just happened 16 years later. We're here. Um, I think if at the time someone had said to me, you're going to be working with this person for 16 years and start two companies that might, i might be like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I don't want to decide that now. Um, you know, in my head at the time, I was thinking, we'll do this company for a couple of years, I'll go traveling and start, you know, and I still have in my head that one day I want to go traveling and that'll probably ne- never happen, um, just climate change stuff. But like, this is, um, you know, uh, again, it's like the, the, the here and now is actually a really important way of, um, determining what you, what you want to do in the slightly longer term, because what you're enjoying or what you want to enjoy, you want to try and maximize that on a day-to-day basis um you know there's that that kind of slightly corny thing of like you know make your hobby your job which since it becomes your job it's not your hobby anymore but doing something that you really enjoy um on a day-to-day basis and that is just because every day I get up and I can like now I can you know work with a great team and that gives me short-term happiness so I try and create my life that I can keep doing that.
1: How's the relationship with Kieran changed over that time period? and how's it got better and how's it got more challenging because from the outside that's what people want people want the type of relationship that you've found together and there must be the pros and cons yeah
2: um so one of the things again that we're quite lucky with is that as you know, as you know, as a company grows, your role changes, especially as a CTO, but as a CEO as well. Um, and we've always, we both share a desire to like keep improving ourselves and keep learning. And so whenever we have, um, like one of us has like, had a bit of a difficult moment, the other one's been there to pull them up and also pull you down when you're like a bit too, you know, excited about something, right? like startups are very much roller coasters and you don't want to experience the peaks and troughs all the time you get a bit dizzy so having that like balance there and that you know um we're just both really calm with each other and rational and you know we like to just sit and think sometimes and you know um in some conversations we we, you know we spend minutes and not talking to each other just and then actually what about this like just that ability just to be with each other without it Without any of the relationship things being tricky or any issue, none of that's there, so we can just concentrate on what we need to do. That's always been uh, something that that's been really good um, and has got better over time as we just get to know each other more and as we both grown up and both matured. You know, when we started playing Kim was like you know, in his teens still, so he's done a lot of growing up since then. He's now married with a with a baby as well, so there's a lot of change. Oh, I was mad that you come of age with
1: each other over that yeah.
2: time. Yeah. You know, he's got facial hair now and yeah, it's all, it's all changed. Um, <laughs> but there the has been, you know, the, the challenge is, um, we're not like best, best friends. So, and I think that's a good thing. Um, we have like, we have a professional relationship. We obviously know I've been to his wedding. We're, we know, we're, we're close obviously. Um but I think having that slight, like, arms reach with our personal lives um, has been really useful. Um, but also a challenge in that there's, like, times when things have happened in our lives that I wish I could share with him a bit more and I think vice versa. Um, but whether it's like, I think it's almost subconscious that we've done that slight separation. Um, but it has, I think, helped the professional side of things. Yeah, why why was it separate? Um. Like
1: why, why didn't you share those moments?
2: So When I, and I still do to some extent, I think, um, I, I like to keep my personal life kind of separate from my work life. Um, I think that's more of a, um, like self-preservation thing, like a boundary thing. Um, and Kieran is like similar. And so it just naturally happened where we would, you know, go home at the end of the day and do our own thing. Um, we'd obviously like in the in the early days we would spend a lot of time in the office together but and we'd have beers and we'd like you know play music and stuff so we we you know we did we did socialize and stuff but there was that boundary and I think it was just a like I say a self-preservation thing a way of um, keeping a bit of sanity um, at the end of the day
1: hmm. I, and you need it I am mean, I can't imagine a circumstance where where you don't it must be really hard to keep trust when you're at a uh, distance too or has that been fine nah,
2: totally fine um i, I don't I, this it's not like we're massive you know we're, we're we're still close like there is a um you know a strong connection um the trust thing was like from the very start was there and i think the separation of like um sort of responsibilities we had like I mentioned as CTO and he's CEO and we both have very distinct roles in a way you have to like just let go of what you know and then so Kieran's out uh, he does the fundraising stuff he does like you know all the best of course he leads the executive and the strategy stuff and I, while I'm interested in it and I he asks for help and advice sometimes he does that and I've never ever and he does it well he's just you know proven himself so I let him get on with it because there's no need for me to get involved. So I completely trust him with all of that. Um, we've we've had in this time so many, we've made so many decisions together um, that I know how he's going to think about something. So when a situation comes up, I know what he's going to do now. Um, and because he's, we've just like done so many things together that have worked out, yeah, there's just trust with each other just because, yeah, yeah it's there
1: yeah it's kind of beautiful it's like you're removing parts of the relationship that other people have in the way like when you spoke about just being sat there and being able to talk with you like not say anything whilst you're in conversation it's like you're just cutting all of the communication out and in some ways you're just like completely connecting with each other and making decisions and the relationship has gone past the point where you need to like be really close all the time, check in with each other all the time Mm. talk to each other all the time and instead it's that there's this it's kind of transcended that in a way and and you have a closeness that that goes beyond it
2: and it's often like said that um, when a couple like um, a couple in a relationship start a business together then one of those two things won't go well (laughs) So the the business will fail or the relationship will fail, and like uh, a lot of it is because you you need diff- it's a different type of relationship, right? You need to do different things. You need to um, um, sort of behave in different ways, and and give each other different things in that relationship, and support each other in different ways. And so yeah, it, it, we've we don't we don't have those social, we don't need those social niceties or anything, and it isn't awkward. It's just. Um, yeah we just get things done like that
1: what other relationships in in your life have been most influential on your working journey
2: um so my oldest brother um was he was like an idol for me when I was young uh he was like very different like he wore a trilby when no one else did and um had really long hair and was just very like, it was just this character and he, cause he was 10 years older than me. So, um, he went to uni when I was like, just kind of, you know, I was eight. Um, so we didn't have like this close relationship as friends when we were younger, because there was such an age gap and he wasn't around much. Um, he left home and stuff. So as I got older and I started on, you know, I, he started a business. He's always been entrepreneurial. So I saw that. I think that influenced me a lot. And then um, when I started on my my entrepreneurial journey, we kind of got really close. Um, and I didn't realize this when I started studying like stoicism. I realized that Jonathan, my oldest brother, is like the best stoic. He's always been so calm and level-headed and rational and like he's always like taught me some of the things that I didn't even know were in, you know, Stoicism and he didn't know either. We've both started like, you know, talking about it since it's like, he's like, Oh yeah, I do this anyway. I'm like, I know you do. This is really cool. So he's a huge influence on me on is just how he behaved and how he's dealt with like, you know, he's, his he's had a lot of like difficult things happen in his life. Um, and the way he's handled them all has just been a great example. So he's been a really good influence. Um, who else? My dad, was um, my dad was the person who um, always taught me to lead by example. So he rarely like, um, so my dad was, my dad was 50 when I was born. So he was like, there was a big generation gap between us. Um, And he never like outright told me how to behave or taught me things directly. Um, He would always show me. And that was a huge influence on how I coach and how I like teach and manage um, and also how I'm raising my child and that, you know, it doesn't really matter what you say if you do something differently. Um, so he was like the the person that helped me, um, I think, just be more true to myself and really like and make me like always reflect on how I'm behaving and is it how I want to behave? Um, so, yeah obviously two family members there but like it's uh you don't choose them but sometimes you get lucky with them (laughs) so yeah i was lucky with them
1: and as you talk about it 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 strikes me that there's so many parts to what you've gone on and done that would have been i can't imagine them having happened had you not had those relationships had they not existed in your life but yet yeah, it's it's not kind of immediately obvious that like we think about the pursuit of work as so individual um but yet that doesn't feel like that
2: yeah I mean life is a lot of things life is a lot of luck like you know I'm I mean we're both uh, I'm assuming a lot about you but we're both kind of in privileged positions right we're we're better off than the vast majority of the people on this planet and um you know, someone who's born in a completely different environment would, would not be in my position now. If I was born in in a completely different environment, I wouldn't be in this position. So, um, I think a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs are very big on themselves and say, yeah, I did all this because of me and I'm great. And of course you make the most of your situation, but there's a ton of fortune that gets you there. Um, and even if you do everything right in a business, um, you know something can go against you and you know you end up not succeeding and so some businesses succeed in spite of all the things they do i read a fascinating story about a product team was it airbnb i might be misspeaking anyway there's a product team in a in a big startup and they didn't A-B test, but they just released releasing things left, right and center. And their net metrics were going sky high. And it was incredible. And they were really proud of themselves. And they started A-B testing. And they realized all the things they were doing weren't making any difference. They were just growing because the market wanted what they were building. And if they hadn't have changed a single thing, they would have experienced the same growth. And so a lot of what we do is um, not necessarily down to like the direct actions that we, we do. Like, a lot of things happen to us. And so, yeah, the only thing, again, repeating from what I said earlier is like how you respond to what happens, Um, making the most of the luck that you have, um, recognizing where you're in a position where you maybe don't have the opportunities that others do and trying to find a way around them if you can, Um, but control what you can control. Don't worry about the rest.
1: If relationships and circumstances have such an influence on our working life, What other big themes are there that have been relevant to you that have impacted your journey?
2: Sleep. (laughs) Um, I have had a up and down relationship with sleep throughout my entire life. And I didn't realize how much it impacted me until fairly recently. Um, there was a book, um, I think it's actually called insomnia by Stephen King and it's, it's fiction book, but one of the, the lines in it is like, there's, there's no bigger divide in this world than between people who can and can't sleep. And I would, I didn't even realize half the time that if I had a bad night's sleep, how much it impacted me. Um, and I have only, I say recently, it's like the past sort of 10 years. Put so much effort into getting my sleep better and it is in a much better place now uh, and ironically when i had a baby i started sleeping better i think one of the few people in the world that that, ha- that happened to um <laughs> but it's made a huge impact and then i um you know when, when you're younger you you kind of just push through everything you can like you know you have limitless energy right you're invincible um there was a point in my life when i realized that and i actually had a period of really bad burnout when i realized that i was just trying to work through all the problems and not not leaning into them and um uh like trying to overcome them I was actually just like riding them and that was not healthy um so yeah that and I've I've talked about sleep with the company quite a lot and it's surprising how many people have um sort of difficulties in general with sleep uh and yet how impactful it is um like if I could, if I could change one thing if I had control I could change one thing to something that I have control over it's sleeping
1: when did you first realise that you were burnt out?
2: I walked into a meeting room with uh, Kieran and our head of people at the time um, to chat about something quite innocuous, and it was six thirty uh, on a Thursday. I went to this meeting room. It was after a meeting, another me- a big meeting we'd had. Sorry, it was on a Friday, so after the all hands meeting, um, and we went in to chat about something, and the world kind of just went a bit black and white, and I just like felt like something just shift. Um, and I couldn't concentrate on what people were saying and I was like I said oh, excuse me I don't feel too good and I left the meeting room I was like I have to get home and I, I walked home and I never walk home I, like it's like a half hour walk and I just found myself walking home and halfway home I just started crying and I didn't know why so I got home and went to bed And my partner at the time uh, she came round. I called her and said I need help she came around and she asked me a few questions she goes you sound like you're depressed like the answers you've given me sound like someone with depression I'm like well I don't have depression um and then the next day I just didn't want to get out of bed so another sign of depression um and she made me call the doctor and luckily uh, I was in Hackney at the time they have really good mental health services on the NHS so I saw someone that day um and he asked me a question he goes you're you sound like you're depressed but it's only been happening for a couple of days so you're not like clinically depressed uh which is really good um what's happened and i said you know this past few months been really stressful and really hard and i just had this moment yesterday where it kind of just sort of collapsed a bit and he goes okay i think you're burnt out i think you've had like just a kind of just a mental episode but um you know the good thing is you're recognizing it and at the time you know i could easily take time off you know i had a very supportive um company you know my My co-founder was completely fine with it all. My team were fine with it. And I said, I need to take a few days off. And I just like um, was fortunate in that I kind of just addressed it quickly. Um, Reflecting on it, it was coming for months. I was um, not sleeping well. I was, I knew I was stressed and I was worrying about things I just couldn't change. And then I was, I was getting home from, the office and studying and I was trying to learn trying to this is what I used to do all the time used to really push myself and one of the things the the doctor I spoke to said he's like what do you do when you finish like get home from the office I'm like oh I do some programming or I learn something and he's like okay what did you used to do and I was like I was like well I've always kind of done that but I used to play video games when I was younger and he goes tonight go home play some video games um and that realization that I just wasn't looking after myself I wasn't there was no self-compassion there was no care of my own like uh, well-being um was such a like vivid realization and also like I just felt so stupid that I almost like just walked myself into this position knowing it was coming or I should have seen it coming but again like we said at the start of the conversation you know humans are really bad at like you know doing things that are good for themselves um and so now like yeah I just know now that if I ever feel like any of the things I felt, I feel overly stressed. I'm just really kind to myself. I'm like, I'm going to have a day off. I'm going to play some video games. And yeah, but yeah, it wasn't a pleasant, pleasant couple of months.
1: Why do you think that you weren't self-compassionate?
2: I really enjoy learning stuff. And I'd read all this nonsense about, People, um, I, I say nonsense, learning is like, you know, it's, it has a compounding effect. The more you learn, the more you can learn, the better you get. You know, it's really important. And I encourage people to like have a learning and growth mindset, uh, you know, of course. I read these, like a lot of stuff about the most successful people are the ones who like, you know, learned 17 languages every evening and before they went to bed and then slept two hours. And I convinced myself that I could make myself be that person. Um thinking that it was who I wanted to be um and so yeah it was like and for a while I was able to do it you know when you're young you can get away with a lot um at a certain age it just you know um it takes its toll and I think also as Thread was growing my the amount of like headspace it took um was growing as well like in the early days I was all in thread but I was just writing code and building stuff I wasn't worried about like you know my team of like 40 people um you know and the fundraising that was coming up it just got a bit bit bigger and a bit more real um and so that side of things the stress levels increased there um and all in all it was just all too much so um yeah I think I was just pushing myself so much to um you know, be as good as possible, be the best you can be, you know, be the best version of yourself, like learn as much as you can and convincing myself that the only way to do that was by like, you know, beating myself up. Do you have an idol that you wish you didn't idolise? I try not to idolise people. I mean, I wish I didn't. Not really. It's like I'm a big fan of um Sam Harris and a lot of what he says about like lots of things actually, but I also find the way he um um talks about some things a bit uh do I put it confrontational and a bit trolling almost. So I find myself like um agreeing with what he says whilst also wanting to argue with him. This is a bit of that there, but not a um I wouldn't say I idolize him, nor do I, yeah.
1: No. I guess I asked that question because I think th- there are often two types of people we tend to idolize, and sometimes it's really difficult to pick between each one. I guess the classic is if you... There are so many people who idolize Bill Gates. I'm definitely one of them, and that's there's so many good parts to Bill Gates that we can aspire to be. But then there's also other leaders throughout history, like Lincoln, who personally, I, I, I kind of constantly pull myself towards. And if I feel myself reflecting on my ambition or thinking about the Kind of how hard i can push myself i often have to ask the question like who am i idolizing here like am i idolizing bill gates or or am i idolizing lincoln like what is the right the right thing to do here and it can be such a trap
2: yeah like i think that one of the risks or um one of the reasons i try not to idolize people is that they'll let you down like nobody's perfect right so um if in your head you have this, like, oh, you know, idolize this person, they, you know, I will base all my decisions on what they would do and how they think about stuff. They're gonna have made mistakes and they're gonna, you know, have some some flaws. Um, and I think the the thing you touched on there is that it's okay to like recognize what's really good about people and the things they do that make you know that um, that you like and you want to emulate, but that doesn't mean you have to like idolize that person for everything they are. Um, So picking and choosing the good bits or the bits you think are right or learning from them and then adapting them to your own way, I think is completely fine, but there's a risk that you can um, just fall into like the cult of that person. And then you worry Then you start um, doing things maybe that that you don't believe in as much as you should, because they had a slightly different value than you.
1: Mm. When you first started Thread, what were you optimising for personally? And has that changed?
2: It's a long time ago, 10 years now. Um, At the very start, Kieran and I, so we sold Playfire and we talked about what we wanted to do next. And we both had an ambition to build something that reached a lot of people. So the problem with Playfire was ended up being for hardcore video gamers and the bigger Playfire got the less time Kieran and I spent playing video games. We ended up building something that we weren't using. And so I wanted to build something that reached a lot of people, but also something that solved a problem that I had. And I couldn't dress myself 10 years ago. I like literally liked that feeling when I left the house and looked in the mirror and thought, oh yeah, you look good. And, but that happened like once every few months and it was always the same shirt that someone once complimented me on. And it's like, I was like, it doesn't have to be like this. So I think my goal then was to solve a problem for myself that I think a lot of people have, but then on like the kind of day-to-day work, what I wanted to do, I just wanted to build stuff. Um, And I still have that, but today I'm doing it in a different way. So I'm not writing code anymore. They don't let me know the code base anymore. Um, That's what happens when you hire people who are better than you, right? Um, But through my team, we create incredible things. And so I still get that buzz of like, you know, when demo day happens and when people release stuff and um, someone sends around an AV report where we increased like, you know, the number of likes on items by 5%, you know, stuff like that. I still get the same buzz from that um, feeling that we've made something and made a difference to people's lives. Um so that hasn't changed, but how I go about it has changed.
1: Do you have a set of priorities when it comes to how you define meaningful work? If you were to kind of line them up and you were to put them into themes, how would you how would you rank it and what's up there with you as the most important parts to to your work?
2: I think now because I'm a manager and a leader, the, um, meaningful to me is enabling other people. So, um, this is a bit of a, like, there's two answers to this. So if I put Fed to one side and like, what, what is like, what do I see as like work to me? If I'm like, I want to write code and build something that's like work, but I just love that. And it's, it's just, it's easy for me to, um, to say that, like, for me, working, building something is, like, fun. And it, it, that's, that's like, how I would define like, the best thing I do. But when it comes to enabling people and um, building an environment where people can thrive and shine, um, that's how I think about everything I do now. So if I'm going to, um, you know, we're talking about company strategy whatever, Obviously we have to think about what will the company do, you know, how will the company succeed, what will make us win. But I think first and foremost, what is gonna make get the best out of my team and give them like immense satisfaction on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, in a way it's like I live <laughs> I guess I live my my work through them now. There must be a personal side to it too. Cause it's
1: there's a danger there, isn't there? And I'm sure we've both experienced this where you there is nothing better than that feeling of someone else being empowered by you. There's nothing worse than someone feeling disempowered by you. And you need a coping mechanism outside of that because the time inevitably comes.
2: Mm. Yeah. I I think that um, in a way, like if I come into the, if I start a day's work and I have nothing to do, then I'm doing well because there's all I see myself doing now is like removing friction and you know making things easier for others and that like I think the reason why that is actually really personal to me and really like satisfies me and motivates me is because in a way like I I can do a lot more so if I can make a change, which allows a team of like 20 engineers to, to do better work. That's just like infinitely more powerful than building like an of code myself. Well, it's not infinite; it's 20 times more, but it feels like so much greater. Um, so it is a selfish thing still. It is a person, you know, I, I'm, yeah, of course I'm trying to enable everyone, but it's because I just like get such a buzz out of it that, yeah. Um, and go back to the, like the early days of when I started programming. Um, I think I was one of the few people that actually enjoyed the group like university group uh projects I, everyone else hated them but i just like that was the first time i was like hey we can actually build something bigger than what one of us can do and um so yeah even then it was like yeah, you obviously had people you had to drag along but even then it was the sum of the parts are so, like um i've forgotten the face. <laughs> the sum of the parts are greater than or whatever you know what i mean
1: <laughs> yeah it's funny how I, even in those days there's a there's a tell to the future like if you'd been the the person in that class who just wanted to be in the corner and and not engage it's highly unlikely that the situation since would have unfolded but you don't necessarily notice that at the time it feels kind of silly it's like yeah i like being involved in class like so what but actually it doesn't end up meaning a lot yeah and looking
2: back like i used to sell rhubarb at school like i took it from the garden and went in and sold it and i wrote uh, card game which I sold as shareware in school and I, I didn't realize at the time that I was just in doing that because I really enjoyed like the, the business side of it and making money and yet it's kind of obvious when you think like of course I'm going to end up running a business but at the time I had no idea so.
1: when's it gonna be enough as
2: in retirement day <laughs>
1: <sighs> yeah maybe retirement yeah or when will you be
2: satisfied I'm satisfied now um so my drive and what I enjoy what I do like I I don't I'm not like this person who's like desperate to get to somewhere um I really just want to you know maximize my enjoyment of my life what I do every day um and I'm lucky that I've managed to find something that gives me that so you know the day that Fed is no more for whatever reason, or I'm not part of Fed. You know, Fed will carry on long after I'm I've left. Um, I need to find something that will satisfy me, and I think like I've I've had this, you know, going back to the stoic thing. I've have I've exercised, done this exercise many times where I thought about what happens if Fed's not here, if, if tomorrow the company disappears, right? Um, and I'd like study something. I'd like, you know, uh, I want to do like some maybe sociology or some philosophy stuff or um, stuff that interests me I'd write more code uh, play more video games but um, there's a there's a ton of things I I, I want to like I used to write music I want to write music again um, I collect music I want to do more of that um, I want to do more cycling there's just you know if I had 20 more days in the week I'd, I'd fill them so it's not like I'd be short of things that I think would make me happy.
1: Is there a I'm, I'm... I look back on my own journey and I can remember work before I started seeing a therapist and work after I started seeing a therapist. Is that the same for you?
2: Yeah, big time. Um, I could like, just remember life before before therapy. Um, uh, one of the things that therapy did for me um, was that the thing we talked about, about being able to like or be more objective about yourself. Um, it's given me loads of tools to do that. So in a way, you know, it's not just the um, you know, coping with life. It actually, it's like, you know, the thing people like, oh, if you go to a therapist, if you're struggling, I'm like, yeah, fine, that's good. But you don't go to the gym when you're about to have a heart attack. You go to the gym to prevent yourself. So I think like the, the things that therapy have given me are just ways of navigating just normal things in the world. Um, and part of that's been able to um, really look into yourself um step away and be objective and realize when you know things are getting tough and what you can do to then fix them and uh, because i firmly believe that you sometimes you just can't do that yourself because like we said humans are like many different systems and many different pulls and emotions and it's really hard
1: it's funny how therapy is just helping you make better it's giving you a system to be able to make decisions that are highly personal without too much emotion but without like self-loathing and, and hating yourself. And then all of a sudden, if you can, if you can develop that skill set, it not only is good in the context of your therapy, but it, it's just, a, it's just really good for decision-making that involves you as the core participant. Exactly.
2: Um, it's just more tools to, yeah, to get things done and to navigate the world um i you know going back to what we said about emotions and and the human like brain being a complex you know mix of different systems it's so hard to you know work out what the right thing to do is at any point um you know there's a part of me that like sometimes i finish work at like 5 and oh, i just want to have a beer but i know that if i have a beer i'll have three and then i'll have a bit of a hangover tomorrow so i know it's not the right thing to do but at that moment i just want to do it and then i think well what being kind to myself actually i could actually have, have a beer because i can relax then and that's nice and so it's important to do that and it's i realize why the pull is pulling me and then i know that if i have too many i'll feel bad so i can control myself a bit more and it's just that you see yourself as if you were a friend and you can um yeah like you say make better decisions
1: that's a great way of thinking about it i haven't thought about that before like see yourself as if you are your friend because that all of a sudden does become a lot easier to visualize. Like I was trying to work out, do I have that drink or not? Do I like, am I kind to myself? Am I not? And even then it's like, oh God, yeah, hang on. I don't know. Cause it's all contradicting itself. But then if it was a friend, it would be really quite quick to notice whether that friend needed some self-love in that moment or whether that friend needed to not have another beer and it would actually be a pretty straight decision.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly um but we start that thought process like should I have a beer you know like, oh, I, I had too many beers last week and I'm um, like made a bit of tip myself and like so on and so on. And it's like you know you, you you start that you know self-loathing almost but you start the conversation from the wrong place you start it from a judgmental um you know um reflecting but not in a good way um kind of perspective whereas yeah like you say you, you look at it from as if you're a mate talking to someone it becomes so much easier hmm
1: i think one of the things that i really i think i've i i keep thinking to myself as we've gone through our conversation is this difference between the things that are within your control that you can you can handle and recognizing the things that are outside of your control and i i think the tricky part here is that i think people really do want to do that but if you're ambitious you pull as much into your control as you possibly can at all points how can you continue to be ambitious and have big dreams whilst also maintaining a clear line between what you can and can't control
2: and the two things are compatible right because if i had the dream like i want to be an astronaut there's no way like that unless I pay a ton of money now that I'd be able to do that. Cause it's like, I know that you have to be young, you have to be fitter than I, you know, there'd probably be a path to get there, but I can't, that dream is not, is like incompatible with my belief system that, you know, I can't control the things I need to get there. Um, you know, if I had bad eyesight, I wanted to be a pilot. I couldn't, there's just no way you're not allowed kind of thing. Um, but if I, um, if I have a dream of like wanting to do something big, I'm like, okay, what, can I do to get there? What are the small steps? What are the um, the things that I can control? And you're right, you know, people with big dreams try and pull more things into their things they can control, and that's a great way of doing it. You know, like um, people like you say, so people have hustle, right? Who like you know, determined to get stuff done. They find ways of changing the world so that their dreams can can become reality. Um, whereas a lot of people like come across an obstacle and they're like, ah, I'm stuck. You know, uh, because it, it they were, they're like, oh, I'm worried about this thing, but I don't know how to fix it. So I think w- when you said people, you know, do want to only can only worry about the things they can control, I, I actually think a lot of people don't make that distinction well enough, and they see like genuine obstacles the same as um, impossible things. So something will become difficult and they'll be like, Oh, that's the same as like, you know, the market economy crashing or whatever, or like climate change. And you know, I have no, I, I, this is, I'm hopeless again in this situation. Whereas when you make the distinction, you come across something difficult and you realize actually there are things in my control, things I can control to change this, then it becomes less of an obstacle and I can get through it. Um, so yeah, you know, the two things are having big dreams is like, as long as the dream is realistic and you can change the world to some extent to help you get there, then it's fine.
1: And finally, how has being and becoming a father affected your
2: relationship with work? Honestly, not much. Um, You know, I know like a lot of people are like, oh, it becomes less important. And, you know, the, the, um, Having a child makes you focus on different things, and like it does. I am immensely grateful for the ability to work from home um, because I get to spend more time with him. Like, see, it's bedtime. I have lunch with him. I can nip out after this and say hi, and like it, that is um, you know great. And so it's hard to to and the, you know that actually points to something. It's hard to disentangle the. Um, the effects of like the pandemic, uh, you know, because Daisy got pregnant during the pandemic. Um, he was born um, on the day the original Freedom Day, you know, twenty um, really... first of June. They pushed back in the end, but um, so the first few months of his life were in lockdown. and the world was changing, so it's hard to know like the differences in my life that are because of him and how I feel about the world and because of the, and the pandemic. Um, but I took a I took an extended parental leave, I took four months off full-time, and a couple of months part-time, and so I came back, like, really refreshed, like, super energised and ready to go, and so, in a way, I'm, like, just, yeah, I feel very similar to as I did a few years ago.
1: Yeah, it must have felt, uh, uh, I can't imagine what that four months was like, because you're personal life has all of a sudden lit up with this brand new piece of sun in your house. (laughs) That's one way of putting it. But on the other hand, (laughs) your, yeah. On the other hand, your, your other child is, continues to live its life without you.
2: Yeah. I, um, before I went on parental leave, um, I started handing over my responsibilities and there's a really humbling thing and a realization that you're not that important. Um, like, If I left Thread today, it would affect things, of course. It would go on a different path. It would survive. Thread would find another CTO. Thread would, like, um, you know, my team would have different managers, but they'd have managers and everyone would be okay. Um, And, yes, I bring something, you know, I think in a certain way, so I bring something to Thread, which has helped to get where it is and I can contribute more in the future. And until I'm useless, I'm going to stay there. But it's um, there's a kind of humbling realization about um removing yourself from something that's just been a huge part of your life for so long and then when you get back everyone's like oh hi (laughs) you know we're still here so everything's fine um so yeah it was nice to have that break and also quite affirming in a way that the company's gonna be fine um and my team are actually really good and can do stuff so you know without me and probably actually enjoyed that period where i wasn't on the case all the time so yeah
1: Sounds in an odd way, similar to sleeping on the, on the floor <laughs> and remembering what it's like to have a bed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Except um, that first four months, there wasn't a great deal of sleeping uh, at all. No. But, but now it's a lot better.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much for this. And your, uh, your honesties and your like authenticity, uh, it's like... Uh, so difficult to replace. <laughs> Lights. I've, I've loved this.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Ben. I no, appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me.
1: Cheers, Ben. Thanks, man. Catch you soon. Yeah, enjoy the rest of
2: your day. Thank you. The
0: Best Work podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.